Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, again, most of you know I was uh, invited to be one of six preachers at a Bible conference, and that was for Brother Knox there in Deland, Florida. And the theme of the entire meeting was New Testament women. And I, I suppose maybe some women uh, braced themselves for thinking this is going to be bashing women. It wasn't anything of that at all. Uh, it was really a recognizing that there were some great Christian women in the New Testament. And of the 12 messages, each of the messages uh, focused on a different woman. And so having heard 12 messages on some New Testament Christian women, I preached on two of them. But uh, I was really challenged by some of the other messages. And so this morning, I'm going to preach one. Now, if you listen to it on Internet, I think mine is better than his. <laughs> and that was Brother Ray, so you can tell him that. Uh, it's funny, after the very last message, Brother Fleur preached, and it was fine. I said to my wife that night, I said, honey, if I preached that, I'd change this part, and I think it would be better. And she just kind of looked at me and smiled, so you can smile. That's, that's just fine. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at this woman named Lydia. We only find her name in Acts 16. That's the only place in the Bible, and her name is only mentioned twice in this chapter. I'd like us to read, uh, begin by reading together Acts 16, verse 12, verse 13, and then just the first few words of verse 14, till we get to her name, Lydia. If you would read together with me, let's read out loud, beginning in verse 12. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia. Stop right there. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one that's here this morning. Thank you for those that have made a priority of being in the house of God. Lord, I'm sure that there are some of ours that are not here, couldn't be here, either out of town. Help them to find a church where they're at. Maybe there's others not well at home recovering. Encourage them. But Lord, as we look at yet another great woman of the New Testament, help us to be challenged by what you've written about this woman, Lydia. And Lord, certainly every woman could take firsthand teaching from it, but I think every man also could learn some principles that are just as true for a man as for a woman. Help me this morning direct my words. Please fill me with your spirit. May all that's said and done be pleasing to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, at this conference, we preached on New Testament women and uh, my two messages, I already preached here before. I preached on Martha and Mary of Bethany, also preached on the widow that gave two mites. And uh, after listening to all the other messages, I thought that's pretty good. Uh, the one I'm preaching about Lydia this morning, uh, the brother that preached that brought something out that I had never thought of before. And it helped me. And I trust it will help you, preacher, who are we looking at this morning. Again, we're looking at this woman named Lydia. I've already said it, but her name is only mentioned in Acts 16. And her name is only mentioned twice in Acts chapter 16. 
I'd have us look at what we can learn from this woman, Lydia. Again, look at verse 13. Acts chapter 16 and verse 13, and on the Sabbath, we, well, preacher, who is the we? The we is talking about Paul and his missionary team that are on their second missionary journey. Uh, if you know much about the book of Acts, the first half of Acts talks about the gospel being preached first in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter 1 through 7. Then that same gospel is being preached in Samaria. That's Acts chapter number 8. From Acts 9 through Acts number 15, we find the gospel going out through much of Europe. Uh, sorry, much of Asia. It's going through Asia Minor. We would call that the country of Turkey. When we get to Acts chapter 16, for the very first time, the gospel is crossing from Asia into what we know as Europe. And the gospel reaches this woman named Lydia. So if you're taking notes, my, my title is just her name, Lydia, L-Y-D-I-A. I trust that you'll write some of these things down. But I'd have you consider first our introduction to this woman named Lydia. Do you know in Acts chapter number 16, Paul has already preached in much of the country of Turkey. And he's actually reached the westernmost point of that place. It's called Troas. In Troas, he begins to pray, Lord, where do you want me to go now? Father, do you want me to go north? Is that where we should take the gospel next? Lord, would you rather I go, we go south? Is that where you want? Or Lord, would you have us uh, again head back east? Lord, what do you want us to do? He's trying to find the mind of God. You know, so many times we decide what we want to do, and we never ask the mind of God on that, so we give him credit for seeking the mind of God. Uh, look there in Acts chapter 16 as he's trying to find out what God's direction is. Look there in verse number 6, Acts 16 verse 6. Now when they, that's Paul and his missionary team, had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, we were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And they were come to Mysia. Sorry, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. So they're, they're at a loss. God, which way do you want us to go? North, south, uh, back east again. Verse number 8. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. So Troas is the most westerly point in this Asia Minor. Lord, what do you want us to do? Well, God answers their request, verse number 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed to him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Remember, they've been seeking the mind of God. God, what do you want us to do? They're in Troas. You, you can't go any further west or you'd go into the Aegean Sea. God, what do you want us to do? And there that night, God gives them a vision, and in the vision is a man of Macedonia. Preacher, where's Macedonia? Macedonia is a province of Greece, but they would have to leave Asia, cross into Europe, head around the Aegean Sea, because Macedonia is a province of Greece up there. 
And this vision, they see a man of Macedonia that's saying, come and help us. And you know what? It seems God's made it clear. And so what do they do? Look there in verse number 10. And after he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we, that's the rest of the missionary team, endeavored uh, to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Can you imagine how excited they were? They, they were at a standstill, not knowing what God wanted them to do next, not knowing where God would have them head out. And here in the night, God gives Paul a vision. doesn't give them all, just Paul. Gives Paul a clear direction to go into Macedonia. And uh, that's why it's amazing, verse number 10. They didn't all get that vision. Only Paul, who headed up that team, it says in verse 10, and after... He, Paul, had seen the vision immediately. We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. They are so sure that this is where God wants them to go next. And here in this vision, Paul said to the rest, he said, there was a man of Macedonia, and he is begging us to come and help them preach the gospel. You can imagine how excited they were. And they probably thought, you know what, yeah, it was just a man of Macedonia, but maybe there's a dozen in that city that want to hear the gospel. Maybe there's a hundred in that city that want to hear the gospel. And they can only imagine that there must be a great group of people in Macedonia that want to hear. And, and again, the vision was a man of Macedonia. And so they are anticipating that there is a party of men that are waiting to hear. Do you know Paul's custom whenever he went into a region was he would search out a synagogue and he knew wherever there was a synagogue, there were people that were at least interested in spiritual things. Many times when Paul went into a new city, immediately he looked for a Jewish synagogue. And as was the custom in those synagogues, when a visitor stepped in, then they would read the scripture and then they would ask the visitor, is there something that God has given you that you could give us? Paul was so excited there must be dozens and dozens of people in this city and in this province of Macedonia. Well, let's see what happens. There in verse number 12. And from thence uh, to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the, the Sabbath day, do you know the very first disappointment that they 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 beat up against there was no synagogue in philippi philippi was the chief city we would say it's a capital city they get to the city of philippi and there's no synagogue that's what paul always did was he hunted out a synagogue keep your hand there in acts 16 look there in acts 13 i just want to prove that that's how paul worked acts chapter 13 and verse number 14 Acts chapter 13, verse 14, Paul's on his first missionary trip. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, 
if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say, so that's what Paul did. He knew if he went into the synagogue of a city that after they read a portion of Old Testament scripture, they would say, you're a visitor here. Have you got something God's given you to tell us? Not only do we see that in Acts 13, but look there in Acts 14. Paul did it again in another city, Acts 14, verse 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass in Iconium, that's another city, that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake the great multitude, both the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. Paul had seen that this method was always successful. Look there in Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 and verse 2. Uh, make it verse number 1. Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, as what he always did, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, having said that, back to Acts 16 and verse number 12. When they came to the capital city of Macedonia, remember, that's where the vision said they were supposed to go. They didn't find a synagogue. Now what are they going to do? What a disappointment. It was a Jewish custom that if there were 10 Jewish men in a city that were interested in starting a synagogue, it just needed 10 Jewish men. There weren't even 10 Jewish men in Philippi that wanted a synagogue. The second disappointment history tells us is in one of the entrances to Philippi. There was an archway, and on that archway was a warning. And that warning said that uh, no one could bring an unrecognized religion into the city. Well, certainly Christianity was not yet recognized. Do you understand, Paul and his team were so excited. God has so clearly directed us to this place. And when they get there, there is no synagogue. When they get there, there's warnings not to bring any unrecognized religion. In fact, the only place that an unrecognized religion was allowed was outside the city. So let's watch what Paul does. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 13, and on the Sabbath day we went normally, he would have, it would have said, went into the synagogue. But it says in verse 13, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a man of Macedonia. Maybe it'll be a dignitary. Maybe it'll be the mayor. Maybe it'll be some rich businessman. He is anticipating getting to meet a man of Macedonia that will be receptive to the gospel. He hasn't found the man. There is no synagogue. I can't help but believe that that was a tremendous disappointment to Paul. 
All he finds is some women. Now, I'm not belittling women, but that's all he finds. It, it's completely contrary to this vision that God has given. And I'm saying that on the Sabbath day, he can't find a synagogue. He, he can't even really preach in the city. And so what he does is he goes outside the city by a riverside, and there are some women. And that's why we read the first words of verse 14. Of the women that were praying outside the city, look at verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia. I, I'm giving you our introduction to this woman named Lydia. She was one of several women who gathered to pray at a river outside the city of Philippi. I give you a second thing that we learn about this woman. Look there in Acts 16, again, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Now, if you understand how much Paul was looking forward to finding these men, certainly this man of Macedonia in the vision, he had to be disappointed with what he found in verse 13. He didn't find a man. He not only didn't find men, he didn't even find a man. There were only women by that riverside that were praying, and had Paul just imagined, I'm sure he questioned, Lord, did I miss it? God, did, did I just imagine this vision? Lord, did, I, did, did, I, did you give me the vision, but I just misread it? Lord, what have I done? There were only a handful of women gathered to pray, not one man among them. The only woman that was named of the group was Lydia. And certainly they were to be commended that they were having a prayer meeting. It seemed every week on the Sabbath day they did this. Who would have blamed Paul and his team for packing up their stuff, heading down the road to the next city in hopes of finding a synagogue? Who would have blamed Paul and yet I want you to notice what Paul did. Instead of packing up and quitting. Again, Acts 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Instead of being discouraged and disheartened with what Paul thought, thought God was going to do and God didn't do. He said, okay, Lord, you've given me this little group of women. I'm going to be as faithful in delivering the truth to this little group of women as I would if it was a group of 500 men and women. If you're taking notes, we're looking at Lydia. First thing we've considered our introduction to this woman named Lydia she was one of several women who gathered to pray by a Philippian river. Second thing, I'd have us consider Paul's investment in this woman named Lydia. Paul's investment in this woman named Lydia, who would have blamed Paul for being so discouraged that he just turned on his heels and left the city. But instead of doing that, Paul said, God, this is what you've given me. This is who I'm going to be faithful to. 
Say, oh, preacher, how do you know? Well, he could have said, you know what? I'm not even going to talk to these women. He could have said that. He could have said, I'll give them the two-minute version of the gospel, and then I'm out of here. He could have said that. But the end, of again, of verse number 13 tells us what Paul did. He says, uh, and uh, we sat down. That's an indication that he planned to give this an honest effort. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. What a great lesson that every Christian, and particularly every Christian servant, ought to take. It shouldn't matter the number of people that God has allowed you to minister to. You ought to give your very best, whether it's many or whether it's few. Could I carry that one step further? It shouldn't matter what gender of people that God has allowed you to minister to. Folks, we ought to give our very best, whether it's many, whether it's few, whether it's men, whether it's women, whether it's children. And I'm saying to you that we have to commend Paul. Though he was likely disappointed in how things turned out, he invested in these women that God entrusted him with. Preachers, does the amount of preparation that we put into our preaching depend on the number of people that we'll preach to? It shouldn't. Sunday school teachers, do the amount of zeal that you put into your lesson depend upon the size of your class? It shouldn't. Singers and instrumentalists, does it does the amount of practice you put into your special depend on who is going to listen to it? And soul winner, does the amount of care that you put into witnessing depend upon the age or the gender or the number of people that you're witnessing to? I say, secondly, as we learn about Lydia, we see Paul's investment in this woman named Lydia. Again, Paul could have said what could possibly come of speaking only to these. He could have said that. Paul could have said, I'll give them the three-minute fast version of the gospel and then I'm out of here. But Paul didn't do any of those things. Instead, we read there in verse 13 that Paul said of his group, we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. You know, I'm afraid that too many times we look at things only from our perspective. We only look at our little group. We only look at our little class. We only look at our little city. We only look at things from our perspective. And folks, we can't see what God can see. Isn't it true when God called the prophet Samuel to go anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king? That Jesse, that father, brings his sons before Samuel and Samuel looks at the outside and he says, this has got to be the next king. God says, not him. Jesse brings his second son and says, well, this looks, God says, not him. So many times it was seven sons in a row that Samuel looked at and said, this has promise. And God said, it's none of them. And Jesse, uh, Samuel looks at Jesse the father and says, is this all your boy? No, he said, I got one more. 
but you know, he's the youngest and he's out taking care of sheep and you wouldn't... He, Samuel says, I'm not sitting down until you bring him to. And when young David came, Bible says he was ruddy, that's red-faced, just he, he didn't look impressive at all to Samuel. But God said, he's the one. God said, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And we have to commend Paul because although it didn't turn out the way Paul had imagined that it would, Paul readily ministered to the group of people that God had given. And may that be true for you, and may that always be true for me. Folks, you can't, you can't pick the crowd that God sends. You can only minister to the crowd that God sends. So I say the first thing we learned about Lydia, our introduction to the woman named Lydia, and she was one of several uh, women who gathered to pray by the Philippian River. Second, Paul's investment in this woman named Lydia, we learned that he heartily delivered the gospel to that meeting of women. Uh, again, uh, many, many of us maybe have, have heard of the missionary Robert Moffat, maybe you haven't. Robert Moffat was a great veteran missionary to Africa. And when he came back from Africa to uh, his own country, uh, he went to a church trusting that his preaching in that church, in his home country, that God would call some men. In fact, he was so sure of it when God gave him the text from Proverbs 8 and verse 4, God gave him a text unto you, O, sorry, Proverbs 8, verse 4, unto you, O men, I call. <laughs> well, he walked into that church, and other than the pastor himself, there were just women that met at that church. There was one boy who was up in the loft, and, and they had a pump organ. And this young lad, I, I don't know how they did it, but he pumped the air for that organ to play. And as this Robert Moffat was invited up the pulpit, he said, Lord, you've given me a text to call some men unto you, O men, I call. The only man other than myself is this pastor. He's not going anywhere. And the boy... Lord, what's, what's, what's happening here? God, is it one of these women that's going to raise man? Is that what you're doing? But Robert Moffat preached his heart out in that service. At the end of that service, there was one who raised his hand, and that was that little boy up there in the loft. And he looked at that boy and thought, God, what are you going to do with him? Do you know that little boy became David Livingston, great missionary to Africa. Do not underestimate what God has allowed you to minister to. Give it your very best. Give it your heart. Give it your all. And as much as it may not have been the way you thought it would turn out, God can see what you can't see. I, I say we're looking at Lydia, and the second thing that we're looking at is Paul's investment in this woman named Lydia. I heard this cute little story. 
there was apparently in years gone by in Montana an organization that wanted to thin out the population of wolves. And so they were offering $5,000 for every wolf that was captured alive. Well, there was two younger men, Sam and Jed. They figured we're going to make some money real fast trapping wolves. So they searched the mountains and followed the wolf tracks and set up traps. And this went on for several days and they had no results. One night after they went to sleep, Sam woke up and realized they were surrounded by wolves. And their eyes were red, still flickering with the last light of the campfire. And their teeth were bared, glowing in the moonlight. And their back legs were poised to pounce. And uh, Jed was absolutely afraid. But Sam says to Jed, listen, we're about to be rich. <laughs> That's a man that can look beyond what he could see to see something else. Don't, the Bible says uh, over there in Zephaniah, the Bible says, for who hath despised the day of small things? Whatever God's given you, Give it your very best. Whoever God has allowed you to minister to, don't do it half-hearted. Do it your very best. So we've been introduced to Lydia. We've seen that God, uh, Paul has taken his ministry serious. I give you a third thing that we look uh, at here. We find about, or look there in Acts 16, verse 14. The Bible says, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. And so again, of this group of women that was at this riverside, uh, we're told that uh, there was one woman that was named. Her name was Lydia. And again, to Paul's credit, he, he kept witnessing to these women. And he told them what Jesus Christ had done for them. And uh, Paul was counting on the Lord to do inside these women what Paul could not do. You know, when you or I minister for God, all that we can do is our part. We can't do any more than that. We're trusting that God will do his part. So Paul's given him his very best. He's not even cutting out the final poem after his three point. He is giving his very best to these women trusting that God will do in their hearts what he can't do. Well, let's look what happens. Acts 16, verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. So she worshipped God, but she wasn't a believer yet. Which worshipped God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. Folks, that's the secret right there. Paul and his team, who's in his Silas as a partner, and, and Timothy, and by this time, Luke is with him. So these four men are giving their very best to these women, trusting that when they do what they can do, God's going to do what they can't do. And God did just exactly that. It said about this woman, Lydia, that the Lord opened her heart 
Do you know when we speak to people, when we witness to people, when we preach to people, when we do what we do, God has to do something in their hearts. And God did something in Lydia's heart. God opened her heart. Oh, all of the women heard what Paul was saying. But it seems that only one of those women responded to what they heard. And this woman, woman was Lydia. And she received it, and she believed it, and God opened her heart. Do you know the truth is, in verse number 13, we are reminded of the three parts to the success of every ministry. First of all, it was the servant's part. That's Paul's part. He had to still speak to the people God gave. Then we find uh, the Holy Spirit's part. He had to open the hearts. And then we find the sinner's part. Lydia listened, and Lydia believed. But hold on a minute. How many women was Paul preaching to at the riverside? Help me, help me. How many women? There were many. It doesn't say it was seven or four or 13 or 12. There were many women that heard. That's what we are told in verse 13. Unto the women which resorted thither, but you know in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, it looks like only one of those women at that riverside received what Paul told them. Lydia did. Could I say third, if you're writing notes, third we find the interest by this woman named Lydia. The interest by this woman named Lydia. Hold on. All the women heard the same message. All the women heard the same scriptures. All the women listened to that same preacher. All the women did. But only one woman received it. Folks, you could be listening to the Apostle Paul. But if you don't receive the message that's being given, it's not going to help you one bit. Oh, but if our hearts are... I, I trust this morning, before you came to church sometime, God, would you speak to my heart? God, would you give me something? Lord, if no one else at the church gets it, I want to get it. God, if you don't speak to anyone else, if, 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 if everyone else is sidetracked with other things, God, help me to get it. Lydia... God opened her heart. Look there again at verse number 14. The Bible says, Lydia heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And again, uh, this one woman had an interest. May that always be said of every man, every woman, every young person, that we have an interest in things of God. I want you to notice, you, can, you could read verse 14 quickly and miss so much about this Lydia. Let me give you some things about Lydia that we learned from verse 14. Uh, first of all, look there in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. If you knew where Philippi was, Thyatira is back in Asia Minor. In fact, it's about 300 miles east of where Philippi is. 
And so this woman, Lydia, who Paul meets here in Philippi, she's not from Philippi. That's not her home. Her home is in Thyatira. Thyatira was famous for a number of things. They, they, they had made many things about, uh, with brass and with bronze, and, and many of that, those materials went out. But there was someone in Thyatira who extracted a juice, of all things, from a shellfish. And this juice was a reddish-purple color. And so these people in Thyatira who, it's not they invented, they, they, they extracted this coloring. And they then impregnated that coloring in cloth and in textile. And it was such a rich commodity that only kings and, and royal people and noble people and rich people could even afford it. They said it was worth its weight in silver. So this woman, one, she is from Thyatira. Two, she's a very industrious woman. She takes that product from Thyatira she goes to Philippi. Philippi was a crossroads of commerce in that day. She realized, I could sell this item over in Philippi. I could make some big bucks. She was an industrious woman. We're trying to learn about her. Of course, first, she is from the city of Thyatira. Second, she is an industrious woman. It, third, it seems that she's a single woman. Now, it, it could be that uh, she had a husband who passed away. It could be that she never married. If you read the text, there's no mention of a husband. In fact, uh, look there in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, that's that purple, that's that dyed garment, of the city of Thyatira, which worship God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended on the things which were spoken of Paul, uh, of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful, Lord, come into my house and abide. It, it seems she's a single woman. So she's from Thyatira. She is an industrious woman. She's a worker. She is likely a single woman. And she is a wealthy woman. That product that she sold, only wealthy people could buy it. And so she's probably a wealthy woman. Having said all that, she's a Gentile. Do you know that this woman had some conviction to her? You say, preacher, why would you say that? In the Roman world, people work seven days a week. They didn't do what, and I'm not critical, I'm analytical. They didn't do what many today work four days a week and have three days off. They didn't work five days a week and have two days off. That Roman world didn't even work six days a week and have one day off. They worked seven days a week. They tried to get every buck that they could but not this woman. Do you know this woman, when it came to the Sabbath day, she said there's something more important than making another dollar. She decided, I'm going to go to that riverside because there are some women that gather to pray 
And that is going to be a priority of my life. You know, folks, it doesn't matter what you make. I hope you make twice as much. Three times, four times as much. God bless you to do it. If you don't sacrifice God to do it. She could have worked the Sabbath day. There were probably customers that she did not get because there was a day of the week that she gave to God. And I think that's an added reason why God blessed her. Because she put a priority on the things of God. I think it'd be fair to say she was an extraordinary woman. And yet she set aside that Sabbath day so that she could worship God. And it was a God that she didn't yet know personally. I wonder how important the Lord's Day is to you. Is it important enough for you to come to church early and be regular to the house of God? Is it important enough to forego business opportunities and personal gains to worship God on his day? I wonder if you travel away from home, do you look for a church on Sundays and Wednesdays? You know, we went to Florida for a Bible conference, but that only took up one of the Wednesdays that we were gone. There was still a Sunday, and there was still another Wednesday, and we were in two services that Sunday and another service that Wednesday. Lydia was a wealthy woman by her industry, but she was a spiritual-minded woman because she gave God the highest priority of her life. I see the third thing that we learn about this woman, Lydia, is the interest by this woman named Lydia. Lydia didn't just open her heart to the truth of God, but look there in verse number 15. And when she was baptized, so she got saved in verse 14, and she heard about the need for baptism, and she got baptized in verse 15, and her household. Uh, it suggests that she insisted, Paul and that team, come to her home and, and speak to those in her home. And uh, it says that she was baptized and her household suggestions, they got saved. They got baptized after they got saved. Uh, she besought us, begged us, asked us, pleaded with us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Do you understand that this is a wealthy woman? If she was a wealthy woman, she probably had a very nice house. But she looks at these preachers, these missionaries, and says, I wouldn't be saved and baptized if it weren't for God. But I wouldn't be saved and baptized if it weren't for the faithfulness of you men. I would like for you men to stay in my home while you are in this city of Philippi. I, I imagine, I, I admit this is Carlsonology, but I think just out of pure politeness, I think they said, that's very kind of you, but we don't need to do that. They didn't have another home to go to, but I, I think they just declined her kindness. But you know, she wouldn't take no for an answer. Look at, again, verse number 15. The Bible says at the end of the verse, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Preacher, why do you suppose that maybe they said no the first time that was asked? Well, they knew 
putting four men into a house. It just adds people. It increases the cost of food. Four men in a house, could I say this, are sometimes messy. Uh, could I take it a step further, sometimes stinky. Uh, could I say possibly sloppy? Yeah, go with me. They, they, she wasn't just saying, come over for a meal. She wasn't just saying, come over and stay a night. She said, as long as you are in the city of Philippi, I want you to stay in my home. And when I said, that's very kind, but no, she I won't take no for an answer. And by the time we're finished, verse 15, we have every reason to believe that those four missionaries are now staying in her home. I say to you, we have considered the third thing of the text, the interest by this woman named Lydia. Well, let me show you a fourth thing. And really, this fourth thing was the entire message that that preacher preached at the conference. So all this was bonus. Look there in first, uh, Acts 16, verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayers. So, oh, stop right there. Now these missionaries are in her home. Do you know how excited she must have been about that? Just think, because of these four men, I'm saved now. Because of these four men, I'm baptized. Because of these four men, everyone else in my household, whether that meant children, whether that meant servants, I don't know. We're all saved and baptized. Uh, could I say in a righteous way, she was probably so proud. Boy, they're in my home. Of all the homes in Philippi, they could stay. They're here. She probably told her neighbors, do you know those preachers? They're in my home. I've, I've given them the nicest of the, nicest of the beds, bedrooms. I've given them the finest of beds. And I imagine she probably told her neighbors, you know what? I've learned to pray listening to them pray. I didn't know how to pray. I went to the riverside to pray, but I didn't know how to pray. I've learned how to pray listening to those men. I've learned so much Bible by listening to those men. I, I, I've learned how to tell a lost soul about Christ. But boy, I, I am so honored to be able to host those men. That's what we get from the very first part of verse 16. So now she is traveling with them to the riverside outside of town to pray again like she'd done before. Let's keep reading. Acts 16, verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. So as Paul and his team of missionaries continue through the streets of Philippi, boy, as they're preaching, and they're preaching about Jesus Christ, there is a spirit, demon-possessed woman, young girl, that's following them. And as they're preaching, this, this demon-possessed girl, she is shouting out, these are the men of the Most High God. Listen to them. Question, was what she was saying true? Was it true? Of course it was. But it was annoying. <laughs> it was interrupting. Uh, here, Paul would be trying to get the attention of sinners 
And just, just at the most inopportune time, this demon-possessed girl is yelling out. Everything she was saying was true, but it was interfering with the work that God was trying to do. So much so that after Paul put up with that for just a couple of days, look there, verse 18. And this she did many days, but Paul being grieved turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. Do you understand? Paul was grieved with that woman. So finally Paul had to rebuke that woman publicly. Whoa. Now, you'd have to be in church for years and years and years to understand what I'm going to say. There are always people in a church when somebody gets rebuked that do not know the rest of the story. They do not know, how do I put it without giving you a worldly term, the pain in the neck that some people are and they're interfering with the work of God. And so when Paul publicly rebuked this demon-possessed girl, I think that there were some who didn't know the rest of the story. I can't believe a preacher would talk like that. I can't believe a preacher would deal with a situation like that. Do you understand where, as Lydia, up to verse 16, is so proud that she has these preachers staying in her house? Now there's a murmuring in that town that these preachers aren't very nice people. They're rebuking people that we think are trying to do what's right. Do you know what's happening? This woman, Lydia, is being put to the test. Her faithfulness to God, her faithfulness to God's people is now being tested. You're taking notes. The fourth thing we learn about Lydia is the infliction on this woman named Lydia. The infliction on this woman named Lydia. So now word is, is rumbling in town that these visiting missionaries aren't very nice people. Lydia never expected that. Lydia thought, oh my, I've opened my house to some not very nice people. If that wasn't enough, and we find that in verse 16, 17, 18. Uh, look there in verse 19. Acts 16, verse 19, and when her, that's that demon-possessed girl, and when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, the judges, saying, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. If it wasn't enough that Paul and his team were being now accused behind their backs of not being nice people. The second thing, they're arrested. 
<laughs> there's people in town that have trumped up charges against them and said these men are teaching things contrary to the law. They weren't. These men are insisting on us living a different life and there's no cause. Folks, all of that was fabricated lies to undermine the work that God was trying to do in Philippi. So now they're arrested. Paul and Silas are arrested. And whereas Lydia expected those two men at night to come and have supper and, and stay and sleep that night, Paul and Silas don't show up that night. And she begins to inquire, where are those missionaries? Oh, didn't you hear? They're arrested. They're locked up. They've been beaten. They have chains. And they're in prison. Now, folks, you've got to think that that caused Lydia to think. Oh, my. I have opened my house to prisoners. These are cons. <laughs> and now they're locked up, and they're soon going to get out. And, boy, if my neighbors find out that I've been polite to some prisoners... Do you understand what's happening? Lydia had no idea when she trusted Christ back there in verse 14 that this is what comes against those that have trusted Christ. Listen, folks, this lost world does not embrace the same Savior that we embrace. This lost world does not love Jesus Christ like we love Jesus Christ. And when we sing songs that lift up our Savior, they hate those songs. They hate we who like those songs. And you won't be saved very long before there comes a pushback against your faith and against your Savior. Pastor, why does that happen? Because God is testing your faith. And God is testing whether your faith is in God or just in pleasant circumstances. So she realizes now that people in town are no longer envying her having opened her home to these men. Now they're secretly behind her back. They wonder if she's a con too. wonder if she's been in jail. After all, she's not from Philippi. She's from Thyatira. I wonder if she's in cahoots with... That's what we find secondly. Still keep going, Acts 16. Uh, look there in verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, uh, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks, I'm telling you what, there is a cruel world out there. And some of you, for your relatives who are not saved, they're not speaking sweet things about you. And they're not speaking sweet things about the church that you attend. That's what's happening to Lydia. Say, preacher, why? God's testing her. Uh, we don't have time to go through from uh, verse number 25 to 34, but Paul and Silas are in jail. And 
at midnight they begin to sing praises to God. And God does a miracle and God, as all the chains fall off and the prison doors open up, the prison keeper thinks all the prisoners are gone. He takes a sword and is about to kill himself. Paul says, do thyself no harm. And, and, and that prison keeper falls on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? It's a great portion of Acts 16. And we know before that section is done that not only that prison keeper, not only does he get saved, but his family gets saved and his family gets baptized. And, and then Paul and Silas go back into prison. And uh, that next morning, the magistrates that have thrown him in prison realize, oops, we got ourselves in a bit of trouble. These are innocent men, and they're Romans. And we beat Romans, and they never had a fair trial. And so they send word to the prison keeper and said, just, just open up the back door and get those men out of there. Paul was a character. Paul said, nope. They, openly, they, they condemned us. They're not going to sweep this under the carpet. You have those magistrates come to us and apologize. Do you understand? Paul wasn't making it easy on that city. And now I think another rumor was being passed through the city. This guy Paul, he's, he's, he's a ruckus. <laughs> he's a muckraker. He's a troublemaker. He, he's difficult. And that got back to Lydia. And she's thinking to herself, Lord, I had no idea when I got saved that this is the kind of things that I'd have to deal with. I had no idea that my neighbors, who loved me very much, they, they liked my wealth, they liked my kindness, I gave them a discount on that purple garments, I had no idea that now they would say slanderous things against uh, the servants of God and that they would now say slanderous things about me. You've got to know that that's going through Lydia's mind. Preacher, why? Why is it happening? Because God's going to push every one of us. He's going to let this world push us to the wall where we're going to have to make a choice. I'm either going to side with God and his people or I'm just going to compromise and I'm just going to cooperate with this world. But you can't do both, folks. You either have to take God's side or you have to take the world's side. So, folks, when we stand up and say the Bible is perfect, you're going to have somebody that says, I don't believe that. I believe that's heresy. You're going to either have to take God's side or you're going to have to take the world's side. You know, this world thinks that all kinds of relations outside of marriage is okay. We say, no, God's plan is one man marrying one woman for one life and they're to be faithful to each other and there's no other involvement in there. Listen, folks, the Bible's against adultery. The Bible's against fornication. The Bible's against homosexuality. The Bible's against all those things. If you stand with God and the Bible on those things, this world is going to make it very difficult on you. So you have a choice. You either take God's side, and you're going to get it across the chin from this world. 
or you're going to take the world side. You're just going to compromise. You're, you're no, it's no longer going to be black and white. Everything's gray. I'm saying the fourth thing that we learn about this woman, Lydia, is the infliction on this woman named Lydia. She hadn't been saved long. And her love for the faith and the faithful was being put to a test. I can't tell you how many people have been led to Christ through the 33 years of this church. And when they first came to the church, boy, you would have thought that they thought they were in heaven. <laughs> wow, the singing is great. And the friendliness is great. And preacher, the food, it's great. And the pastor, just, it, it's great. They'll come for a week. They'll come for two weeks. And it, normally, if they came for two weeks, the third week, you won't see them again. So you'll call them up. They won't answer. You'll knock on their door, and they won't answer. And you know what's happened? The world got to them. You're not going to be one of those Christians, are you? You're not going to that church, are you? I can't tell you how many people at one time sat in the same seats that you sit in. And they couldn't pass the test that God allows to come to new Christians. I can't tell you how many people in this church that were so lonely. And we sat with them and helped them get the victory from God through the loneliness. Some that were so sickly. They weren't, they weren't supposed to last the week, and, and we prayed that God would do a miracle, and God did. That, that, that we're so deep in debt, and we prayed that God would give them wisdom. I can't tell you how many people through the history of the church were at the end of their rope, and the people of this church were faithful to help get them through it. And a short time later, they seemed to forget all of that. It's a test. Pastor, you said that Lydia's name was only mentioned in Acts 16, and only twice. But we've only seen her name mentioned once. You know, the last time her name is mentioned is when Paul and Silas get out of jail. You've got to know what they were thinking. Lord, I wonder how Lydia is holding up to all this. She's such a kind woman. But I wonder how strong her backbone is. I wonder whether the friends have pushed her into denying all that God wants. You've got to know they were thinking that. Well, their clothes, whatever bit of clothes they had, were still at her house. So I just think Paul and Silas, they, they walk down that street of Philippi. And as they look around the people, people recognize them. I think some people gave Paul and Silas the evil glare. I think Paul, as some in that city, when they saw Paul and Silas, they looked the other way. Maybe a couple little kids stuck out their tongue. Folks, we're talking real Christian life here. Paul knew that it happens to every young Christian, and old Christian too. And as they get closer to Lydia's house, they're thinking, Lord, there's no telling if she'll even open the door God, there's no telling what, what her friends have put pressure on her. 
And so they get to the door and they knock on that door. Now I'm imagining this, but the door just cracks open a bit. And Paul sees it's Lydia. And Paul says, Lydia, before you say anything, if you would just assume we gather our few belongings and head out of town, we'll do it. Lydia, you've been more than kind to us. Lydia, you've probably become embarrassed at what happens to Christians. So Lydia, if, if you'll just let us get our stuff, we'll get out of your way. Look at the last verse of Acts 16. To their surprise, Acts 16 verse 40, and they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. Instead of Lydia through that crack saying, you have two minutes, <laughs> Lydia throws open that door and said, we have been praying for you. How happy we are that you're free. Come on in and stay as long as you want. Do you know the last point? Write this down if you would. Very last point that we find about Lydia. The infinite value of this woman named Lydia. As you read the rest of verse 40, I've, I've read it a dozen times this week. Can't make any sense out of it. They said, preacher, what? Look at verse 40. And they went out of the prison and entered in the house of Lydia. That makes sense. And when they, well, I'm going to guess that's Paul and Silas, had seen the brethren. Well, hold on. That doesn't make sense. So, and when they, that's, uh, I'm going to guess that's Lydia and her household, had seen the brethren, that's Paul and Silas, they, well, who's they? Is that the household or is that Paul and Silas comforted them? I, for the world of me, it's not clear. It's one of those ambiguous verses. You can't tell who's the they and you can't tell who's the them, but you know what we, we can tell? That after Paul and Silas had been in jail and had bad things spoken about them and lied about and beaten on their back, when they came back to Lydia's household, knowing she might never want to talk to us again, she flung open that door and said, I've been waiting for you. What a woman of infinite value. She put God ahead of money. And now she put God's people ahead of this world. And I say to you, whether you're a woman or whether you're a man, if you're a Christian, you're going to be tested. And whereas you never imagined the opposition that comes to a Christian that's sold out for God, you're going to be tested. Could I say to you, put God ahead of everybody else and put those that are faithful to God ahead of those that are trying to compromise on God. We, we, you've all heard of the Olympics. Every four years they have the Olympics, and in the Olympics every country sends their very best. Back in 1924 the Olympics were in Paris, and there was a Scotsman named Eric Liddell. He went to that Paris Olympics. His uh, expertise was a runner. 
uh, his best race was a 100-meter race. They said that, hands down, Eric Liddell was going to run the 100-meter race, even before it was run. They, they all knew. The, the world knew Eric Liddell was going to win that. But for whatever reason, the uh, Paris Olympics planned the 100-meter race on Sunday. And Eric Liddell was a Christian. He said, I'm not running if it's on Sunday. All oh, the rest of, his, rest of his team from his country was heartbroken. Come on, Eric. It's one Sunday. He said, I don't care. God owns my Sunday. And there is no gold, silver, or bronze that's going to get me to compromise that. So someone else won the 100-meter race. He wasn't known for running the 400 meter. That's four times long. But because he couldn't run the 100 meter because it was scheduled for Sunday, he said, I'll run the 400 meter. He wasn't known for that kind of distance. And people just laughed. They said, Eric, you can't win that. You, you won't even place in that thing. He said, that's fine. I'm still going to run it. And you know when he got up to the uh, starting block, someone walked up to him and handed him a slip of paper. And on the slip of paper was written 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. God says, them that honor me, I will honor. He looked, at, he looked around for who that came from, and he couldn't find who it was. So he put that in his pocket. <laughs> He got on that starting block in that Olympics in Paris in 1924, and he finished that 400-meter race in 47.6 seconds. He broke a world record. They said he couldn't do it. And it seemed that God said, you put me first. I'll help you to do what this world says you can't do. Lydia was a great woman. We need more Lydia's. We need more Eric Liddell's who put God before anything. And when friends or family begins to intimidate you and say, it's time to back down just a little, we need some Lydia's and some Eric Liddell's. Let's say I've decided to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we've looked at another great woman of the New Testament, Lydia. And Lord, she was just one of many that were at a riverside hearing Paul preach. While all of the women could have received that truth, it seems only one woman did. She was so grateful for the change that had happened in her life by getting saved, getting baptized. She invited those preachers to stay in her home. And when the pushback started, and when there was scuttlebutt and rumors spreading around about how mean and hateful and wicked those preachers were, she didn't believe any of it. When those men were arrested on trumped-up charges, and people spoke evil of Paul and Silas. She didn't believe any of it. 
She stayed faithful to God and faithful to God's preachers. And even they weren't sure whether she'd hold up to it all. But by the fact that she invited them back into her home when they got set free from prison, what an extraordinary Christian. Help us, Lord, as this world pushes harder and harder against old-fashioned Christians. Help us to make the same decision that Lydia and Eric Liddell made. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.